rest of it? The morning rain clouds up my window. Oh my god, Dido, yeah. It's classic. Yeah. But what about the remix with Eminem? Well, that's obviously better. Yeah. I, I love I was listening to Eminem in the gym this morning, actually. It's having a great time. Which one? Just lose it. Uh, 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 uh. That one. Oh, nice. Mm. I wonder if you were motivating yourself with like, you only have one shot to prove everything you ever wanted. One moment, would you capture it? Or let it slip. And then My palms like, sweaty, knees weak, arms spaghetti, there's vomit on the sweater already. Mom spaghetti. Oh, wow. This is so new. <laughs> Finally. And then you walking up to the Smith machine for your split like squats. <laughs> 2.5 kilos on either side <laughs> you got oh yeah no I know honestly sometimes I'm like surprised that I didn't make it as a rap artist yeah I don't know how many Scottish rappers there are and exactly that was my niche and I let it slip no no well you had one shot and I did let it slip yeah and I'll have to live with that and that's fine how are you um I'm okay. Your vision in purple today? I am wearing purple, which is EIQ colours. Oh, do you know what I am really excited about? It's our meeting the other day. Me too. We had Gosh. Meeting. We've created a vision. We've created a plan. And it's going to be action. Then it's very exciting. It is. And yeah, it is. And it's one of those, t- I think it was one of those days where I'm like, I mean, I, I think this regularly anyway, but I was really like, gosh, your brain. It's like I could, it's like, so I, I, I love the way that your brain works. I love the way our brain works together, but mostly I love the way that your brain just catches things from the sky and then puts it in there and just like, oh, ta-da, it's great. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. Okay. Any Anything to share this week? Mm. No, um, I was I had like an hour of looking at some research today because I haven't done that in a little while. Just like writing, I didn't go, in, I didn't let myself fall into a hole. I just thought I've got a half, like I had about forty five minutes where I had a bit of a gap, and I thought I'm just going to look at anything that I've not looked at in a while or any new stuff. So I was looking at um, what did I write down today? I've got so many things. Oh, sexual dysfunction. Not sure what I was writing about sexual dysfunction. Um, what was the what was the main thing I was looking at? Clearly, none of I can't really make a lot of sense of these things. I was looking at the impact of what I thought was interesting. So, with people with uh, disordered eating and eating disorders, there's like a high prevalence of adverse childhood events, ACEs, which we've spoken about before. Um, and they think that's and especially also people who are obese or have obesity and are in um, larger bodies there's a higher prevalence of um, these adverse childhood events and there was a meta-analysis earlier this year that looked at um, eating disorder symptoms so disordered eating so people weren't in the ED class um, and people with a history of these ACEs and they also looked at their experience of discrimination. So it was gender discrimination, race discrimination. And they identified that, um, so I'm just going to read it out because I haven't done all of the, I haven't looked into it all properly yet. Those who experienced weight discrimination endorsed higher scores on all ED, sim- ED symptoms. And those experiencing gender discrimination endorsed higher body dissatisfaction, cognitive restraint and restriction. People of colour endorsed higher restriction while female participants endorse higher scores on all ED symptoms with the exception of cognitive restraint. Experiences of discrimination had a greater impact on eating disorder symptoms in college students than a history of ACEs, which I thought was very very interesting. Not that it's things that we can change, apart from we can look at our language around weight stigma um, and our own biases with that. How did they address discrimination? Was it like asking people if they had felt discriminated against? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It's perceived, and I think, I suppose, for this type of research, it is about per- perceptions. Actually, what matters in this research, oh, as opposed, to- yeah, like whether you've been discriminated against or not, like the impact is going to be on whether you think you have. Like, if you were discriminated against but you had no idea, like it's probably not really going to impact yeah. much. 
yeah so i thought that was interesting and i was looking at some research around like the parental roles on development of eating disorders and it's so it's the, one of the problems that we have is about articulating the, the genetic influence and the parental roles that that parents have without saying it's your fault that your child has developed disorder you know an eating disorder like that's obviously it's not about blaming parents but the contribution of both that genetics and um, especially mother's dieting behavior unfortunately um is such a huge impact on on children and i don't mean fat loss is going to impact your child negatively i mean all of the things that come with or have potentially come with dieting if you're not doing it in a healthy way etc etc um so it's interesting I, and i'm not i don't want to say too much about it because i don't know how to articulate it properly yet i guess it is interesting like labeling things like labeling foods or your kids seeing you weigh yourself like that horrible meme that's like the kids on the scales and then they're like see these don't make you cry I don't know why mum always cried like that kind of impact but I do think that and or maybe I think and hope no I, I actually do think that things are better now I think even like when our parents like were I guess like new mothers or like maybe when we were teenagers like people still would talk a lot about like cutting out carbs or going to Weight Watchers, never really think about like how that was impacting other people around them. I think people are a lot more aware of that now and the impact that that could have on their kids, especially from speaking to like mothers I work with, they're very aware mm-hmm. of the impact that can have. Yeah. So hopefully this is something that is one of, one thing that gets better with time. Yeah. I think that too and I, I often talk to my mum about it especially with my nieces and stuff and she's like it's wild because she's really good about uh, with her knowledge of all this stuff now obviously um but she's like you know we where would we find out information about this we didn't have the internet so how would we know not to make you finish your food at the table how would we know that we shouldn't be doing Jane Fonda and talking about our bellies like we did why would we know that but the 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 risk factors that they said are modifiable in this situation are parental concern about the child's shape and weight which I think is a really hard one to navigate if you're if you're worried about that obviously um your child's like depressive and anxiety symptoms obviously that's something else low parental self-efficacy which I thought was interesting um child's internalization of the thinness or athleticism ideals and perfectionism so that they were interesting things because like that that's not necessarily these are the risk factors that they found associated with eating disorders um it's not necessarily the obvious ones that you would think of in terms of like calorie counting and bad foods and all of these things so yeah mm. not deep dived into any of it yet but interesting the discrimination piece is quite interesting because one of the coaches i work with on afm lucinda primarily works with um people who are trans which and and they were like actually so many of them struggle with eating disorders or like have previously struggled with eating disorders and and even things like mental health um scores are kind of lower in that demographic which actually you know it's not overly surprising Mm. but that I thought that was quite interesting again now whether that's the discrimination or whether that's more not feeling like yourself in the body that you're in and thus trying to make changes in various different ways then I don't know like where the the causal link is there but that's quite interesting as well yeah there's a lot of research into into um into basically other genders like so women women versus men sex wise women have more um experience more eating disorders and disorder getting less positive body image but men compared to gay men gay men experience much greater risk of relatively greater risk of disordered eating and uh, less positive body image and I was reading something about that just there as well actually about that it doesn't surprise me that if it would be similar in trans although I think the research is less um, prevalent in that demographic right now but it's definitely there in terms of uh, a lot of the research used to be very heteronormative but more focused on you know um straight men straight women it's interesting 
Um, Emily's just said here, I bet disabled people would have a lot of discrimination to the discrimination it, relating to eat, eating disorder bit. Yeah. yeah. And then I think that obviously then you've got the added impact of potential chronic pain or um, and the struggles that can often come, not always, of course, alongside in terms of um, body appreciation and that disconnect from your body, all of those things. Yeah, and I guess also, like, if if there are certain aspects of your life that you're not as in control of because you're disabled, then you're like, well, one thing that maybe I can control is how much I'm eating or how much I'm exercising, maybe, depending on what the disability is. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Excuse me while I... Hey, pup. Aww, you are the tits. Mm. Okay, where are we starting? Sorry. Okay, what are your thoughts and research on giving teenagers protein powder? My client's daughter is 12 years old and a dancer. She's training a lot. She worries about her diet, particularly fiber and protein. Unfortunately, her dance coach doesn't promote or support her or support her with healthy diet alongside her dancing which is a shame so she was wondering if she can occasionally give her pro a protein powder shake for breakfast what are your thoughts yeah if yeah. she wanted to like if she feels like she's not getting in enough protein it's it's literally just powdered milk so yeah. there, there wouldn't be anything wrong with doing it it is interesting i think especially with kids sport and this is quite a broad statement and I know it's not everyone but the level of nutrition knowledge that like my athletics coaches had was like unbelievably like like I remember my mum being like oh should Emma be taking a protein shake and they're like no that makes you put on weight <laughs> okay and then I remember speaking to my rowing coach and he once asked me if a potato was a carb and I was like my word this is insane that was university level as well I'm like wow but maybe you know like they're very good at what they do which is like the athletic side or the rowing training side but there's often a huge gap in the nutrition side yeah that's yeah I, I agree I think the only thing again from my lens would be mindful of is just kind of it not becoming like a I, I don't think it, it could be a core like a breakfast thing that she has and, and it's and it's framed in that inclusion this is supporting your strength type of way um as long as it's not a substitute all the time for like a in my opinion for like a mindful if possible time wise I'm not an idiot you know if she's a teenage girl she's probably doesn't have a lot of time in the morning but as long as it's not a constant substitute for like a breakfast that has sources of carbohydrate and protein in there but I think yeah I don't think there's nothing inherently wrong with it like I agree I wouldn't only have a protein shake but if she was like having a protein shake and some fruit and a bit of yogurt or something or even just had a high protein yogurt with some fruit because you're worried about a protein intake fine yeah agreed yeah. agreed um okay I remember doing, um, this was years ago when I worked for USN, I did a promo and someone's kid came up and just like drank a little shot of like ready to drink protein shake. And this woman came up and she was so angry and she was like, how dare you give my kids like whatever drug supplement, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, one, she didn't ask. She just took it and drank it like, sorry that your kid's running around out of control not my problem <laughs> didn't obviously didn't say that right but I was like hmm. then I was like it is just milk <laughs> like nothing what like she's like what's gonna happen I was like nothing she's like, going to grow a penis yeah like has she ever had milk before because unless she's like lactose intolerant nothing bad's gonna happen here well it's fear yeah Okay, I thought you were going to say pre-workout and I was like, oh my God, I'd be raging too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's not going to sleep for two weeks. 
enjoy especially back in the day like, oh so, not, not those ones but other pre-workouts were definitely spiked with things that they should not have been spiked with yeah not those ones. okay advice for clients who struggle with motivation when there's no definitive goal both are body composition focused and and can become caught in the cycle of associating the weekend with overeating. They're a couple, but goals are different and they're coached individually. Hopefully this makes sense. I've had the discussion of not getting to a place where it's like starting over, but maintaining their success as they've both done amazing and to continue over winter. Mm, I guess realigning them with what their goal is. Like, do you want to maintain this? If so, that like... Sometimes just being a little bit real with people, like you you cannot maintain this unless you maintain the behaviours that got you here. I think so, and it seems obvious when you say it, but some people forget that. And uh, they see the end point to the diet, but I would point that out that, yeah, you, you probably got in shape before, but the reason that you then got out of shape is because you stopped those behaviours. This is what's going to be different this time. Um, Re-being motivated by physical things. I mean, you can obviously always set like, performance goals or is there a part of your body that you really want to work on like you want better glutes or bigger biceps or whatever that might be then I would maybe focus on that uh but again like trying to get people by the time a lot of people have got to the point of reaching their body composition goal I would hope that a lot of these habits or a lot of these actions have become a bit more habitual and that you're really integrating them into life. And, and I and also pointing out that like, if you always rely on motivation, like I get this all the time. I think I had someone message me being like, oh, I, I will always give up if I don't see results within a week. And I'm like, okay, then you'll never get results. Like, is that what you want to accept? Like, fine. But, and, and same, I had this huge discussion yesterday with, a, a woman who wanted to drop her calories now it's only like it's not even been two weeks since she started and she's like no I never get results like, I never see results unless I drop really low and I'm like no you expect results in a week that's the problem actually you can diet on sensible calories she's not that you know she weighs like 65 kilograms doing 10,000 steps thinking that she needs to eat a thousand calories like you don't it's just you think that you're going to see these incredible results in a week and you've set that expectation for yourself because you've done that previously and you saw, I don't know, a drop in two pounds within a week. But that's not normal long term when you only weigh 65 kilograms, right? So it's the expectation that's the issue. I don't know where that went from this question, but anyway. <laughs> I agree with all of that stuff. I think sometimes like you, you could probably just try and frame it as like really imperative like okay you've done the first part like this is the bit that most people fail at this part so you're obviously super motivated you're obviously super dedicated and blah 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 to get to this point so are you going to be one of those people that maintains their results and, and nails this hard part or are you going to start again in January like what like you have a choice I know what I think is that you're going to do I've seen what you've done so far I think I know what you'll do but like and you frame it in your own way right but just kind of empower them to be like this is the hard part and that can be motivating for some people to be like yeah I want to do the hard stuff like that I can succeed at the hard stuff um obviously your, their values are really do you want to be a, the statistic of 95% diets fail no you want to be in the 5% because you're great that's what you need to say and that's literally word for word what my next reel is it's really weird that um and then maybe have like m and in the background like you only get one shot there you go yeah done yeah. done and I maybe wrap it and then you, you'll probably be all right well let me know if you want me to do it for you stop me a message um i think obviously like you know asking them and i think you mentioned the same like Reevaluate. look at your values again like what's most important to you right now and how do your healthful actions allow you to you know progress to like in line with your values whatever they are um that might not be necessarily fat loss at this time um the other thing I think is important to recognize and maybe have the conversation of do you know what you're not going to be motivated all the time 
And I, and I think there's this expectation, especially say you've done three months of coaching, you went straight into fat loss, you were buzzing off your tits because literally your tits were falling off and you were losing like half kilo a week and whatever, right? And so you're buzzing and you're super motivated and then that stops or you're at a maintenance phase or whatever, your motivation can drop. But then managing this ideally in advance of saying like you're not going to be super motivated all the time. And that's not just like a week. There, you don't want to say to someone you might not be motivated for the next three to six months but I do think it's important to say like uh, most people some of the healthiest people that I know are not super psyched to go to the gym every day like we're just not like and I think that like especially if it's not your job so managing that too of like okay well it's super normal to have dips in motivation especially when you're not super focused on like the short-term physique goals so how else do you want to get this kind of hit of joy in your life where else can you find that whilst you keep these things ticking over until your motivation begins to reappear again or not yeah I I think that conversation is really important especially when people frame it often as like what I was just saying of like oh will I give up if I don't see results in a week okay well reality is not going to change so you need to change right and same with this it's like well if I'm not motivated I just won't do it okay then accept that if you're not willing to put in the work you won't get the result mm. but you won't God. be motivated all the time mm. we're very um tough fierce, love. tough love. Uh, yeah it's not even fierce compassion we're very tough love today <laughs> okay. yeah but I'm just kind of sick of like buttering things up of the like yeah it will be hard work sometimes but also even the point of like I'm not always buzzing to go to the gym but most of the time I enjoy going, you know, like find something that you enjoy doing. You don't have to make it a schlog all the time. Schlog. Schlog. That, that just reminds me of schlong. Or a schlong, you know. If you don't like schlongs, you don't have to eat them. Never a truer word spoken. Okay. I have a client who seems to be getting unwell all the time, in capitals, all the time. Is there anything I can do to support her with nutrition supplements specifically? And or I sometimes wonder if it's an excuse she pulls rather than admitting she's struggling. If you were in my shoes, would you question this to dig deeper on or take her word on it? I'm not going to read the last sentence, Lucy, because of course it does. Oh, does that make sense? Correct. Um, it does make sense. I would, I would question w- why you think that she might be lying about it. Is it, just, or do you think like, oh, she's inconsistent, so it's easier to say, well, I wasn't well, because I think that's actually quite rare. Like, and and also, I might not know because maybe my clients have been lying to me. But normally, like, my clients are a bit pissed off that they're like, oh, I really wanted to do this, and then I got ill, and it's like it's frustrating more than anything. Um. What was the rest of the question about? Like, what what can you do in order to reduce illness? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, if she is getting ill all the time, I would encourage her to see her doctor and just make sure, you know, maybe get a blood test or something, make sure everything is good. I'd also look at her diet, making sure that she's getting in enough fruit and veg, that she's not cutting out too many carbs, that she's not in a massive deficit, that she's sleeping well, that kind of stuff um if there's anything that she might be deficient in but aside from that like not not really I agree if she's not taking vitamin d then take that but don't don't ask her to take anything until she's had a blood test if she's going to go to the doctor because I would do exactly the same if someone's getting out all the time I'd be like okay I'm I'm concerned that there's maybe something else that we're missing here so go to your GP get everything tested then um I could I would say fine to start vitamin supplementing with something like vitamin d um the only other thing i'd add nutrition wise is is avoiding fasted training um and then it might just be that she's she's maybe she got a really busy job has she got children is she a carer for people is she just chronically stressed stress has a huge impact on her immune function so managing that and that's not for you to manage necessarily outside of training but if she's training five times a week balls to the wall then her allostatic load is going to be really high. So even if she's still managing to train and she might use that as an outlet, 
okay, well, can we replace one of those sessions with something slightly lower intensity yoga? Or I don't know, something that um, feels more manageable or can you just change up the sessions a little bit so they're slightly short, like lower volume? Um, that's the only other thing I would add. Mm -hmm. Hi, ladies. I have a new client that I have, I have been working with I keep getting out of breath when I'm reading questions and it's very strange because I'm quite fit right now I've been doing my, I've been doing like proper fitness work oh that is strange it's not great hang on a sec let me wet my palate okay hi ladies I have a new client that I have been working with for two or three weeks she's told me in a message today that she is joining a local quote-unquote nutrition club as she's struggling with overeating in the evening and thinks that going to this each morning will help her. I know that this quote-unquote nutrition club is a new Herbalife group that started a couple of months ago and has been attracting people with some snazzy Instagrammable lights and leaf walls and on the face of it, quick results. Oh, so it's an Instagram-friendly location, smart. I'm fine with how I worked through with her the overeating and have started exploring whether it's more a habit than hunger. But my question is, how do I deal with her potentially getting caught in Herbalife's clutches without looking like I'm just trying to stop her going over to a competitor? What? So she's going primarily because she wants some like in-person. She wants the morning accountability because she thinks that it will help stop her overeating at night. Could you give her morning accountability? If you want to, I guess that's the other thing as well is like, you don't have to be the best coach for everyone. And if she's like, oh, what I really think I need is some in-person morning accountability. And that's not something that you offer. Then that might not be what you want to offer. So that I would, I would say that as well of like, you don't always have to accommodate to absolutely everything your clients need. Feel free to be like, that's not what I do here fine um I think it might be a little bit confusing for her if she's getting a, essentially probably quite opposing messages from two different sides saying that if she gets great support and education from you she could infiltrate the Herbalife people and get them over to you because she could be like mm, do, do you think that really makes sense just drinking this shake or just doing that or Hmm, when you question her she doesn't really know what she's talking about like maybe she would be quite inquisitive I'm just thinking like because Emily's just commented as well and like imagine Emily like was like oh do you know what I'd, I'd quite like to have this morning accountability or whatever like she'd freaking like they'd all be converted into you know like people who actually want decent coaching by the end of it mm. uh, yeah, yeah I agree I agree um do I have anything to add that is useful? It's a question I ask myself all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I if it were, were my client, I would probably encourage them to stay critical, but not in a negative way. I would probably frame it as what's amazing is that you're getting like the, a lot of the evidence-based stuff from me. And then it's what an opportunity for you to go to these things. And when things are not evidence-based, you can come, you can, you know, you don't have to speak up, but you can question it at least in your mind. And that's a really nice way to consolidate all the stuff we're doing together. I would maybe frame it a little bit like that. Um, so it's not fear-based. It's not you like, oh, I don't think you should go there or you even criticizing it, but you're framing it as an opportunity. I would also ask maybe like what, like I like what is it that 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 is given for her like what is it about the morning accountability that she actually thinks that she needs is it that in-person thing or is it just like a reminder and does she have to do that or can ideally she work in a routine that's okay can she bring some intention setting into her day because ultimately what we want is her to be able to bring this tool wherever she is in the world at whatever time so that she's not relying on this external stuff and you can have that conversation with her and say so, you know, some of my other clients love to do like a couple of minutes every morning of intention setting. And sometimes they'll, they'll send me a quick WhatsApp to say this is my intention for the day or something like that. Maybe we could try that on one day and see how that goes. Um, other things you can do are like implementation intentions and stuff for overeating. But it sounds like you've got that stuff under kind of quote unquote control. So and maybe try that. Hey, like we could have a group WhatsApp with all of my clients and every morning everyone could post their breakfast in for accountability or 
their three intentions for that day or you know like what they're gonna hit for their steps that day or whatever it is so you are holding yourself accountable a little bit Mm. yeah I have a wee question on refeeds if a lifestyle client has been dieting for eight to twelve weeks but doesn't work out only walks as she has a bad back how long would you refeed for I've given her two weeks of above maintenance calories as she was highly stressed not sleeping because of her back and she seemed deflated also as a refeed like one to two days says and a sorry like one to two days and a diet break a little longer Mm. um i wouldn't necessarily refeed her i'd also question like what you think the refeed is going to do from a physiological perspective probably not much apart from massively slow down her fat loss and if she's in a surplus then she'll start putting on body fat. If that's not her goal, then that might be not a very sensible thing to do. Sometimes a refeed can be useful more from the standpoint of like the psychological break from dieting and taking the pressure off dieting. But I don't know what her goals are. I'd also consider as well what her maintenance was pre-back pain might not be what it is now if she's not moving as much. And having more food might not necessarily help that problem. You know, like a lot of people do this as well with when they're like increasing calories or eating more because they're tired. It's like, if you're not sleeping, it doesn't really matter how many calories you're eating. Like it's not going to help with your fatigue. Like it's not just going to give you more energy to have a chocolate bar in the afternoon. Like if you already have a lot of excess energy to lose, and the reason that you're tired is you're not sleeping. So I don't know exactly what the the theory behind doing this like refeed or diet break is, but diet breaks have basically been debunked to a large extent in terms of the physiological benefits of them. So it's not something that I regularly do with clients um, unless it's for the psychological reason or I just think they need a bit of a break or maybe they're getting ill all the time and injured all the time. And like, maybe they shouldn't be in a deficit for some other reason, but normally that's more to do with lifestyle. So it'd be like, Oh, you're really busy at work or you're going traveling or you've got, you know, loads of other life stress on let's not add dieting stress on top of that. Let's just have like a bit of a cruise period where you're sitting around maintenance. Fine. But yeah, I I I don't think I know enough about like why you're doing it. I couldn't tell you the last time I used the word refeed. I would say it was probably about four years ago. <laughs> um, it's slightly cheat meal esque. Yeah, honestly, she she doesn't need a refeed. Like she might want a week off diet. And honestly, if it's a lifestyle client, I would just say, okay, like what is it psychologically? You said I think. Oh no, you, there's no reason for it. Oh wait, she was highly stressed and not sleeping because her back. Okay. Um oh, yeah, that's not gonna, you know, if she's in pain. Right. The diet's not a problem. I yeah, I mean look, if she if you can and you can say to her, look, if you're feeling like a just you you're feeling a bit blah and you just want a week to kind of recuperate, as long as she's not gonna do like a week of just like, yeah, okay, fuck it, I'm just gonna eat everything because she hasn't done that work on her relationship with food, which I'm sure she has with you. Um, because that's just gonna make her feel worse. So if she can have a week like of rough, like maybe a little bit of social eating and mindful eating and getting more nutrients in and focusing on an inclusion for a week and like that's not going to do her quote unquote any harm. And look, it's not going to do her harm in terms of if she gains weight anyway. Like I don't mean that in the context of what I'm saying, right? Her progress, but she doesn't. That's not the problem here. That's not the problem here, and it's probably going to make her feel worse. Um, but yeah, if she wants with any lifestyle client. I don't even really give diet breaks anymore because to be honest, I think, it's, I mean, my t- type of client is slightly different, but if they have a fat loss goal and they have unconditional permission to choose to eat outside of their macros, if they're tracking, if they want it, then they're generally like, oh, I went out on Saturday night, so I went over my macros and then I've cracked on like normal. And then they don't need a week off because they're allowed to have that variation. It's not an all or nothing thing. So they So they can diet for six months if they've got like, excess body fat to lose and yeah they're not always going to be in maintenance every week but it's not a planned diet break it's just okay that week they were on holiday or that week they it's their birthday it's not a big deal so I think 
for you as a coach like you this is a good opportunity for you to try and think about okay well this is a lifestyle person she probably doesn't need a physiological refeed how am I going to help her manage this time that she's feeling deflated and there are lots of things that you can do outside of just you know okay let's just give you more food how else does she get um joy comfort simulation purpose hi ladies just finished the hypertrophy lecture which I loved I understand the calorie surplus to build muscle would you approach it in the same way as a deficit in terms of percentage additional calories on average how long would the surplus last and post surplus would you move back to maintenance or deficit is this the same as bulk cut um again it probably depends on the client like cutting and bulking is very like bodybuilder so it might be necessary in that situation. But also remember that bodybuilders get really lean. So they do need to be in a bit of a surplus. If, as an example, you were looking at, uh, like, not overly lean, but, like, healthy weight woman who wants to build muscle, you probably don't even need to be in much of a surplus, if a surplus at all, to build muscle. And there's only so much of that excess energy that will go towards building muscle anyway so what will happen is if you're like I'm going to put someone in a 15% surplus while they're building muscle I would say you'd be lucky if like 5% of that went towards actually building tissue and then the rest is just going to be stored as fat now if that's not the goal then like basically you kind of saturate the benefit of the extra calories with way less than what most people probably think like you don't need to bulk as much as what most people think and then it often puts people off doing it for a long enough period of time. So you'd be better to have someone in a very slight surplus or even just sitting around maintenance, but erring on the side of a little bit of a surplus for six months to a year than you would be in like, right, we're going to ramp up calories. And then three months in, they're like, I feel really uncomfortable and I've put on a lot of body fat. And then you diet them again. And then you're kind of in this cycle of like cutting and bulking and that's not really what builds muscle anyway but a lot of people don't even need to be in a surplus yeah I agree with all of that I don't have a huge amount to add other than I think it's helpful I think sometimes as coaches we're inclined to feel like we always need to have our clients have a specific goal and I think goal setting for sure can help like you know the coach who does my coach who does my strength training he's like okay what strength goals have you got and I'm like I'm five months in and I still don't have a strength goal. My, I do, I'm doing his one that he's setting me, but I, I am still super, just as motivated as I was as it began, probably more so, and I don't have a goal. I think we're very inclined, like we know that goals can be helpful for most people, right? But I think as a result of that, we often feel like, okay, well, okay, we're going to cut. Okay, we're going to bulk. Okay, we're going to reverse diet. Okay, we're going to do maintenance. And I think sometimes that comes from our own fear of not giving enough. And so we always feel like we need to have this short-term goal. And for sure, too, when we're looking at kind of value for the people that we work with, they need to have some understanding of what their journey is going to look like. But it, but health-wise, in relationship with food, exercise, body-wise, we don't want to be in this constant cycle. We know that's not kind of quote-unquote optimal long-term for a positive body image, for a good relationship with food. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be doing these things. Um but we don't want most of the time for if we're looking for optimal health we don't want to be cycling cutting and bulking cutting and bulking and I think it can be quite empowering for people to see that they can make physique changes without rigidly being in a surplus an x percent surplus and they can get a bit leaner without rigidly being in a deficit obviously they will be in a deficit but I think that can be quite a cool experience for people to be like oh do you know what? I just chilled out and I've been training well and eating well and I'm getting stronger and I'm building muscle like that's cool do you think sometimes like you get to a point that you don't need physique goals or strength goals because you have almost like bigger life goals and you see how exercise fits into that like for me like my adherence to exercise is great but I don't have any physical goals but I can see the benefit of it and in some ways it's even easier because you see the benefits straight away. Now I might be a bit of an extreme with this of like, I really struggle to concentrate if I haven't exercised in the morning, 
So I see the benefit immediately. I'm not having to wait for the delayed gratification of it takes six months to build a decent amount of muscle once you've been lifting weights for a while. I'm looking at the immediate effect of how I feel for the rest of that day. And maybe it's pointing that out to people as well when we're coming back to like people who aren't, who maybe say they're not motivated or they need to see results. It's like, you're looking at the result that's going to take ages instead of the initial one now of how you feel after going to the gym, how you perform after going to the gym, how you show up to your partner, how much better you can concentrate, all the kind of immediate effects of exercise. Mm. But I think when you were talking about like not having a goal, it's like, yeah, but your goal is kind of to like feel good and show up in the most important parts of your life. And you know that you need to be strength training in order to do that. So like, that's your motivation or that's yeah. your goal. Yeah. And I think it's important even to be able to articulate that to your clients. Like clients don't, I say this all the time about relationship with food. People don't care about a good relationship with food. They don't. They care about being able to go on a date day last minute and get brunch, even though they hadn't planned brunch into their day, to be able to have sex and take their clothes off and keep the lights on. That's what people care about. If you're talking about relationship with food, they don't care, but it's the same with fat loss. It's like fat loss is more easily understandable than relationship with food. But still, people want fat loss because what? why? Why do these people want fat loss or muscle gain? And then translate that into, okay, well, let's focus on those other things. Okay, you want to be stronger because you want to run with your kids. Okay, well, how is that transpiring each week? Or that's not going to change each week, but you know what I mean. Mm. Agree. Oh gosh, it's gone off again. Oh, okay. Have you watched this reel that Lucy's posted? Okay, you ready for it? Mm-hmm. Not a question, but a reel I'd love to get your take on. Others healthy or not? It's a question that I often get asked, and it depends. Depends on your own body, how you respond to sugars, and it also depends on which ones you pick. So you've got sachets of highly refined ground up uh, oats that you can make just in a few minutes. You've got the whole grains here, and you've got the brand. This only has about 3% of fiber. This has around 10%, and this is over 16%. So huge differences in fiber, which means they have a different effect on your body. Studies have shown that if you eat enough oats, you can reduce your blood cholesterol, but you do have to eat a lot of oats to do that. And it's because they contain beta-glucan, which is a slimy substance that ends up lining your intestines, stop those lipids, those blood fats uh, getting into the system rapidly. But if you do like your oats, um, be careful because oats contain five to ten times more than all these herbicides and pesticides than you find in other grains. That's because they're sprayed continuously to dry them out. So if you are an oats fan, I think it's really worth getting the organic version. It doesn't cost that much more and it will give you a lot of peace of mind. So, there you go. I don't even know. Like, I don't really know what I think of that. I haven't really heard the mechanistic and nor have I looked into the mechanistic rationale there for consuming a lot of oats to lower cholesterol levels. That's like, that's legit. The, the, that is like, that is the association. You can never take, obviously can never take a food as we know in isolation of like, if you eat oats, then this will happen. If it, people that eat oats also do other things. Right. Um, and you can't just eat one food for the day and then have an effect on things like it yeah you you don't eat them in isolation but what I think is funny is like one is eight percent fiber one is ten percent one is sixteen percent fiber and it's like yeah I will probably that probably equates to something you said there's a huge fiber difference that probably equates to like one is six grams one is seven grams and one is nine grams and it's like that's not a huge difference that that's the that's the absolute amount versus the relative amount sorry the percentage is the relative amount not the absolute amount and if you looked at how many grams per serving of actual fiber the difference is probably quite minimal that's just him inflating it um I hate I hate it 
because I'd, I've seen that post before. I, I ranted about it in one of my emails because there I saw a mum comment on it like, I'm really lost. I don't know what to do. I give my kids these things because it's all they'll eat for breakfast. I thought I was doing the right thing, giving them this healthy thing. It's cheap. And it pisses me off that you've got him saying, oh, buy organic oats. It's not that much more. Well, it is that much more to people that don't have the disposable income to buy organic food because then it's like, okay, well, then should they should be should they be buying organic vegetables? Should they be buying organic bread and all of these things? And then that can double the cost of your shopping. It's not a lot to you, Mr. Millionaire, or however much money you get, but it is a lot of money to other people. And that pisses me off. And realistically, do we think that the problem with our health as a country is because of oats? Is that is that really what the problem is? No, that's what I think about it. And I agree, like, actually, it'd be better if more people just ate oats, any kind of oats, instead of having, like, cocoa pops for breakfast. I think we'd probably, like, all agree on that. But then yeah. to get, like, so anal about the type of oats that you're having. The other thing I think is interesting more broadly about him and, like, the Zoe app and their whole kind of, I guess, like, personalised nutrition approach is quite a lot of research is now coming out now that like disputes the fact that you could ever do that now when you have a probably billion dollar company based off that what are you meant to do like now we even in fact something came up recently that showed that by taking like poo samples you can't actually tell that much about your gut microbiome the whole business is based on the the poo sample right so it's like well actually the fundamental of all of this science that you say this is based on is now rocky as hell right so then what we what you meant to do with that and then another piece of research came out last year I think or maybe it was earlier this year that showed that even though you're doing your individual testing there's so much variation within yourself as in like if I ate that oat whatever if I ate the same oats on Monday and then I ate them on Friday I might have a different response so if you're basing my nutrition needs on my response to certain foods but my response to certain foods changes all the time again this is pointless right and so people think that they're getting like something extra that's like specially designed for them but it fluctuates so much that you well one you don't need anything specially designed for you but two it's just it just seems like all the recommendations that they make are based on what we now know to be like not solid science at all and then a lot of it like yeah of course you get good results on it because a lot of the recommendations end up just being like you should probably eat more fruit and veg and I don't know, like maybe cut down on these certain forms of carbs, which you probably don't need to cut down on those. But if you did, like, would you get results? Maybe. And if you're paying 80 pounds a month to be part of this Zoe app, plus the whatever, 200 pounds for your initial testing, are you more likely to stick to something? Yes. And if you buy into the science and you're like, oh, the doctors told me to do this and it's specially designed for me. And look at all this science and studies to back it up and blah, blah, blah then you've got a lot of buy-in there as well. So I don't think it doesn't work. It just doesn't work for the reasons that they say it works. Yeah, I agree. And then there was there was some, I read something about how obviously your gut responds to what you eat. And so it rings true to me, similar to, rings similar to me, you know, when with intolerance tested and it's like, if you get intolerance tests done when you eat something, it says you're intolerant to it. And I wonder how much that happens with when you eat a certain food and then they test your poo, how much that differs based on what you've actually just eaten as opposed to your actual gut microbiome. And we know that over like a month, it tends to, it can change, right? So it just, it doesn't make sense. And the research, like you said, it's not there on an individual level. Like it's not there. I wrote something about, I wrote about oats, but I was looking to see this quote that I saw. I wrote my email about this the other week. Do you know yeah. what? I, I want to quote Alan Flanagan because I don't know where I was. It might have just been a reel or something. It might have been like his story or something. But he was like, he was like, if you want to pay £200 to sell to to to, to send Tim Spector your you shit, go ahead. But Or you could just eat less or <laughs> some shit like that. And I was like, yeah, basically that. Like, you could do this and spend loads of money and send someone your poo. Or you could just be like... <laughs> 
probably eat more fruit and veg. Like, I think the other point is for, mo- for maybe not most people, but for a lot of people, like like Amelia saying, like it's not oats that are the problem in your diet, and you fucking know it deep down. Like, oh yeah, I went from eating like takeaways every night to doing this, and it it's like you know that you could improve your diet without any testing like I know I could improve my I don't need to to get a test done I should probably just stop eating protein bars so much for lunch and actually sit down and have proper meals like I know what to do I I saw um I read an article about this journalist trying Zoe diet and she said I quoted this from her article and it says it becomes strangely addictive checking the glucose sensor after each meal to see how I'm responding to different foods. And it's like, this is what we're doing to people. This to me is the new diet culture. And what amazes me is that people that are like, oh, diet culture is so bad. 95% of diets fail, blah, blah, blah. These same people are now the people that are like, oh yeah, Zoe diet, Tim Spector. Like what's, how can you not see? And I, I mean, people like, Jamila Jamil, prime example, hates dieting, hates the fitness industry, slates it with, like, has a lot of anti-diet bias people on her podcast, or used to, when I used to listen to it. And she is somebody that had then the glucose goddess on her podcast. And you just think, how can you not see that that is that, just under a different name? And that, like, that pisses me off. It's disordered eating. Like, it is the new orthorexia. Yeah. It's fine. Okay, so that's our our thoughts, Lucy. You're welcome. Um, Oops, I just lost the group and fell onto another pregnancy announcement on my Facebook timeline. Okay. You know what I start doing? If I see anyone, like, announcing that they're pregnant, having had a baby, doing a gender reveal, or, like, is getting married or whatever, and I don't, and I'm like, I am not your friend. That's when I unfollow people. Nice. I like that. I might do the same. I wonder if a lot of people do that and then like when you do like a I'm getting engaged loads of people just start unfollowing you because you're because they're like oh don't even know who that person is like know the put that you like met them once on a night out and it's like 10 years later and like why have I caught this person (laughs) my Facebook is so like that it's a dark place what are your thoughts on no sugar energy drinks they are no low wait what they are no or low sugar and zero calories. I have a client who drinks them regularly as a pre-workout or pick-me-up. She says she feels that she needs them most days. She doesn't drink coffee, tea, or has any other caffeine in her diet. Is this okay, or should I be encouraging her to reduce her daily caffeine intake? My question is, my question is why would they be, what is it that you think is bad about them? Because it's that's something to get curious about of, is it because they are ultra-processed? Are they? I think so. Is it because they have artificial sweeteners in it? Is it because of the caffeine? Like, what is it that you feel that is unsuitable to have once a day? It's not like it's an it's an interesting one because it's not something I would encourage, but I also don't think it's a bad thing. Agreed. Same with things like diet coke. I mean, it's basically the same. Diet coke is quite high in caffeine as well, so same kind of thing. It's like I wouldn't encourage someone to have. A diet coke every day but if you're like oh yeah I, I have a diet coke every day I quite enjoy it should I make a massive effort to cut it out no uh, there's probably like loads of other things that are way more important than that mm. and the level of artificial sweeteners in there is fine the level of caffeine in there is fine mm-hmm. fine okay that's all the questions thank you all so much okay thanks everyone bye